I'm really excited because, uh, man, this is the first time in, I guess, three weeks that I've been able to get up and share the word. So I'm really excited to share this word with you today. And we're going to actually close out our series called Faith Does. Everybody say, Faith Does. If you were with us throughout the month of March, we, uh, we, we did this series called Faith Does, talking about the action of faith, right? And um, uh, the first couple of weeks, the first few weeks of Marks, I, uh, of, of Marks, of March, I actually taught out of the book of James and the book of Hebrews about the action of faith, right? That faith is more than just a feeling, that faith is more than just an idea, but that faith is an action. Faith does, right? And then the third week of the series, uh, Pastor Liz taught us about the authority of faith, right? How faith exercises authority. Were any of you uh, blessed by learning what faith does? Okay, well, then we took kind of like a two-week sort of break. They talked about faith anyway, but we had Pastor Sue Yeager with us two weeks ago, and she talked about the, the fact about, uh, of that faith sows seeds, right? Was anybody blessed by that? Anybody been challenged by that over the past few weeks? And then last week, man, Pastor Reed, he let us have it, right? <laughs> that there is purpose in our pain. And what I want to do is kind of come full circle and go back to the beginning uh, about faith and what faith does. And the title of today's final message of this series is that faith acts like a child, right? Faith does. And what does it do? It acts like a kid. Come on, can anybody show me what kids act like? Oh, goodness. Yeah, what? I think I just heard somebody saying I don't like kids. <sighs> Maybe they said I like kids. Okay. <laughs> God likes kids, so if you don't ask the Lord to change your heart, amen, all right. Faith acts like a child, and uh, to jump into this, we're going to look um, in Matthew chapter 18, and I want to read this first scripture out of the Passion Translation because I just love how it expresses sort of the feeling behind the original language that Jesus would have said this in. At that time, the disciples came to ask Jesus, Who's considered to be the greatest in heaven's kingdom round? That's something that they fought about often. And then Jesus called a little one to his side and said to them, learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become, come on, he's talking to his disciples. Come on, somebody. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable, disciples of Jesus, right? And learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you'll never be able to enter in. Whoever continually humbles himself. Somebody say humble. I humble myself. Come on, say I humble myself. I humble myself again. I humble myself some more. It says whoever continually as a habit, right, humbles himself to become like this gentle child is the greatest one in heaven's kingdom realm. Holy Spirit, stir up childlike faith in us today in Jesus' name. So as we talk about what faith does, one of the things that faith does is that it acts like a little child, right? And, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, Faith, it says here, Jesus said that faith continually humbles itself, right? Continually humbles itself, which means it never stops learning because it's teachable. It means faith never figures it all out. 
But how do we act sometimes, right? We learn a, bit of, a little bit of what the Bible says, and we got a little bit of a relationship with Jesus, and maybe God's used us a little bit, and we start acting like we got this, right? But Jesus destri- described greatness, right, as a little child who basically would never stop growing and never figure it all out, continually humbling itself, right? And, and one thing that faith does like a child is it is never it never stops being amazed at the greatness of God and his kingdom. That's a temptation a lot of times for us big people, right? For us adults. Maybe we come to God and the first experience we have with him or the first year or so, it's like, wow, God is so great. The first time you ever experience his love, it's like so great. You can't even explain it. You can't even contain it, right? And the grace of God and how he's forgiven you and how he changes you and transforms you. It's this amazing thing. And then you're walking with God for a little while and then you kind of get caught up in this and that or you think you start to figure all this out and how it all works. And then it's kind of like God it shows up and his presence comes like he did this morning and it's just just kind of like, okay, man, God have mercy on me. God have mercy on us. Let me never get to the point where I'm not amazed at his amazingness, at his greatness. I want to stand in awe always. I want to never lose my awe. Let me never forget That the God we're dealing with is almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, the giver of all life, the one who came from heaven to earth, who went to an old rugged cross and paid the penalty for my sins to forgive me, to set me free, to redeem me, to kill me, to give me eternal life. Let me never come to the point where I just kind of nonchalantly, even flippantly treat his presence. He's powerful. He's almighty God. And faith, real faith, doesn't lose the wide-eyed wonder of a child. In fact, childlike faith, because it gets to know God more and more, the more we see the greatness of our God, the wider our eyes should get. Amen? We shouldn't get less and less sensitive to the awe of God. We should become increasingly more and more in awe. Of him because we get to know him more and more. And in fact, it's one of the great dichotomies of faith. And I believe that this phrase is there on your outline if you want uh, to use it to follow along. But this is kind of a dichotomy of what real faith is, the Christian faith, the faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes like this. The more my faith matures, the more childlike my faith becomes. Because... I've been through this myself, and I've walked with many, many disciples for now for many, many years. And there's all this talk about, well, you know, I used to be, you know, my first love, and I was wild and crazy, and Jesus, you know, and then, but now I'm maturing. And it's like, uh, I don't know that that's called maturity. That might be called getting a little cold or backsliding. See, Jesus didn't say that we are to be childish, right? You are most definitely, I am most definitely supposed to grow in my faith. I'm not supposed to be a spiritual baby 10 years later. Come on, somebody. That's another problem on the other end of the spectrum, and we'll talk about that another day, right? We're not supposed to just get faith and stay where we are. That's being childish, right? But childlike is different because, 
get this. To be childlike means you're not a child. You're just like one. Come on. That's what that word means. Jesus isn't saying, stay a spiritual baby, and so therefore you're going to always be like, goo goo gaga, wow, right? No, but as my faith matures and becomes more like him, the more childlike my faith will become. It's just the way it worked. And, you know, Jesus on multiple occasions actually chose children. This is one of them that we just read. I can think of three or four off the top of my head where he chose children as the example of greatness. When they were fighting about or someone was asking about who's great or what does great faith look like or what does greatness in the kingdom look like? And he, he would always call a little child over and, and explain it that way. That's what it looks like. And today what we're going to do is look at one, just one specific one of those stories, right? There are many of them and we're going to take a look at one of them today because this specific story really means a lot to us here at Encounter Church. Why? Because back in 2014, 2013, 2014, right before we moved to Atlanta to plant Encounter Church, we had been praying, we had been fasting, we had been planning, we had been working on our team that was going to move here with us, and Liz started having this word about feeding people. Come on, everybody say, we got to feed them. Liz started having this word about feeding people, and we were like, yes, Lord, you're going to use us to feed people spiritually. Yes, 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 right? And and then she started having dreams. She even had dreams about potatoes or something like that one time. And how we had a bunch of potatoes and the potatoes never run out. And we just kept feeding people and feeding people and feeding people. And we knew that God was saying that we were going to be used. That he wanted to use us. He wanted to use Encounter Church that did not exist yet to feed lots and lots of people. We thought, well, maybe one day we're going to literally feed people. Fast forward five years later, and we are. I'll get to that in a minute. But we always knew that we were going to feed people spiritually because we knew that, you know, the church uh, by and large is in a state of kind of like anemia, right? There's a lot of weak, malnourished Christians and God's called us to, to raise us up and use this church to really feed his people and create strong disciples. But we also knew maybe we're actually going to feed people food, right? If you've been around a little while, you know we feed people, but if you were around in the beginning when we first started Encounter Church, Lord have mercy at the food. We fed people right and left. We had chicken and waffles night. We had feed the owls twice where we fed hundreds of university students. And we've done a lot of things to do with feeding. And now we're feeding children in the Philippines and in Cuba. And God's using us to be able to do that. And God's using us, our little church that's growing to feed this community as well, and we're so excited about that. Now, all four Gospels, this is one of the few stories that all four Gospels record, okay? And we're going to read the one today out of John chapter 6. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, which is about to come as well, right? We're almost to Easter. And soon Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him, turning to Philip. Everybody say Philip. He asked... Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Wait, who asked whom? Jesus asked Philip. Okay, we're going to focus on John's 
rendition of this, but let me tell you, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the exact same story kind of from different perspectives, all right? Here we're reading about what Jesus asked Philip, but in, in, in one of them, the, the, they're, they're realizing what's going on. All these people are here, and it's late, and we're out in the middle of the wilderness, and there's nothing to eat. What are we going to do? And what does Jesus tell them? Does anybody remember what, they say, what he tells them in Luke? You feed them. What are we going to do, Jesus? They're going to starve. You feed them. And that, just keep that in mind as we continue to read this. But Jesus asked Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, right? And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Everybody say, Andrew. Philip and Andrew, right? Andrew said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Like, I kind of think that's how he said it. Like, what's that? All these people. But what good is that with this huge crowd? How many people were in the crowd? How many people were in the crowd? I haven't read that yet. I'm just trying to see if you've read the story before. Tell everybody to sit down. I love it. Jesus wouldn't stress it all. He was just like, y'all sit down. He already knew what he was going to do. Y'all just, just sit down. Just tell everybody to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered about 5,000, which means you know, if it was 5,000 men, there was probably 750,000 million people there. Because they like to have kids in that culture. No, most historians agree that there were about 20,000 people in the crowd, including uh, women and children. And, this, and then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the what? The leftovers so nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Five barley loaves and two fishes they could have fit in one basket. And after all this is said and done, they fill 12 baskets with the leftovers? When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he's the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. My goodness. Now, what people typically say happened here is that Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. Why I am not trying to bring any sort of correction to that teaching, I want to tell you that if you read through all four gospels, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say he multiplied it. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. I just want you to have that in mind. He did not multiply it, even though it multiplied. Let me just tell you three things I see, three powerful things I see from this scripture, from this story that teaches me about the faith of a child. Number one, sometimes when Jesus plans to show his power, he asks us to do something. Sometimes when Jesus plans to show his power, he asks us to do something. It says here in John that he was testing Philip. Again, in Luke's version, he tells the disciples, y'all feed him. 
right? Let me tell you something that I hope will encourage a lot of you and maybe set some of you free today. Jesus always already knows what he's gonna do. Did you get that? It doesn't matter what situation you're in or what you feel like he's asking you to do. He always already knows what he's going to do. He never doesn't know what he's going to do. You are never in the middle of a circumstance where Jesus doesn't know what he is going to do. He always knows it, but sometimes we don't know what he's going to do. And most of the time, sometimes we may know what he's going to do, but we certainly don't know how he's going to do it, right? And so... But many times, Jesus will call us to go somewhere out of our comfort zone. He'll ask us to do something that seems impossible. And like in this case, and I know that some of us have been there before. I've been there many, many times. Sometimes Jesus will even ask us to do something for which we lack the resources. He will literally, like in this story, say, how can we feed them? Where can we buy the food? And then in, in some of the other gospels, you feed them. Jesus was literally asking the disciples to do something that they didn't have what it took to do. Does that sound fair? Mighty quiet in here. Jesus sometimes, because I have seen people, God speak to them and them go, well, I can't do that. That must not be God. I don't have what it takes. That must not be God. I don't have enough money. I don't have the talent for that. I, and Jesus is saying, here you go. Here's an opportunity right here. I want you to do something. And our answer sometimes is, I don't have what it takes. But guess what? It can be Jesus. Sometimes he does things like that. And I would rather, listen, I would rather my answer not be Andrew and Philip's answer, because basically their answer was, we can't do that. Jesus, what you're asking us to do, it's impossible. Jesus, what you're saying that we should do, we can't do that. We don't have what it takes. I, I think a better response would be this. Are y'all ready? Come on, I believe this is going to be our response, because Jesus is stirring up our faith, and he's calling many of us to do things that right now we don't have the resources, the time, the talent, the energy, the money, whatever it takes to do it. We don't have it in us, but he's asking us to do it anyway. You know what a better answer would be? Okay, Lord, I'll do it. Just show me how. <laughs> See, that's very different. Their answer was, we can't. We don't have what it takes. A better answer would be, you say to do it, we'll do it, you do your part. How do you want me to do it? How am I going to get what it takes to do it? Sometimes he asks us to do something. Y'all, I've been in this situation so many times. And when we say yes and do our part, we can be sure he will do his part. If he's asking you to do something, and you say yes, and you give what you've got, he will give what he's got. And how many, know, how many of us know he's got a lot? He has what it takes, right? I remember when I felt like God was calling me as a missionary to go to Mexico, and I did not yet speak Spanish. I spoke very little Spanish. And I'll be honest, my laziness rose up within me and said, I don't want to do what it takes to learn a whole new language. 
And I felt like Jesus told me, I want you to go and I'm gonna give you the ability. And literally in just a few months, I learned fluent Spanish, okay? I could have said, I don't have what it takes. Why would I move to a foreign country? I don't speak their language. But instead I said, you say you want me to do it? I'll go do it. And he provided what I needed to win many souls and make many disciples in a different language. I remember back in 2014 when we were like, we're moving to Atlanta and we're planting a church with a bunch of really young, I hate to use the word broke, but everybody that came said, yep, that's right. Let's move across the country and plant a church in a city where we don't know anybody. We have no entrance. We have no way in. There is no bridge. Nobody got a job. Nobody got a place to live. Let's go do it. We certainly didn't have money. And we have watched now for five straight years. God miraculously provide everything we need to now grow to a church of 150 why? And we're well on our way to 200. We're going to bust through that this year. Amen? Amen? Why? Do we have what it takes? No. Why are we, going, why are we on our way to that? Because he said so. So we're going after it. And once we bust through that, we're going for the thousands. Amen? Amen. Because we want a bunch of butts in our seats to say we have a big church? No. Because there's a city out there lost and dying and broken that needs Jesus. And we don't have what it takes to help them, but boy, he does. And when we say yes and do our part, he'll do his. I'll tell you, it just happened again. This just blew my mind, okay? If you've been around for, say, the past three or four months, you've heard of us talk a lot about Cuba and about this thing called a Hope Center. A Hope Center, a Hope Centers is a ministry. Pastor Sue was with us a few weeks ago. They feed children around the world, especially in Philippines and Lithuania, and she heard about what we were doing in Cuba. And when we had gone to Cuba over Christmas, we realized that the country is going through a famine and that the price of food is highly elevated and, and families are literally malnourished, even starving, right? And we asked the pastor down there, what would you think about us partnering with this ministry to feed children? And he, uh, he was so excited about it. I mean, he got like overly excited about it and went ahead and started planning to do it. Because we just mentioned it and we came home and we were like, do you think we could do this? Because when we asked him how much it is to feed people, it was about seven times more expensive than what it would be in the Philippines. That's what famine does. There's a shortage of food. Hmm. Sound familiar? There was a, there's a shortage of food. And let me tell you, on this end, in this church, there's a shortage of resources to buy all that food. We don't have all that money to feed all those kids. But we said, let's see. Let's pray. We felt stronger and stronger about it. And we said, we're going to go back to Cuba. And in the meantime, we're just going to start putting the vision out there. We're going to start raising money. And the day we, we, we had this dream, it would be amazing if we could go back to Cuba and we could already have enough money to do this thing for a year, right? Now that was an off-the-wall, left-field, way-out-there kind of crazy, way impossible for us. The day before we get on our flight to go back to Cuba, a few weeks ago, we received a pledge for enough money 
to fully fund a Hope Center to feed 50 to 100 children for a whole year. And then we get there, and then we get there and we realize they're opening four new church campuses in very poor, malnourished areas. They're going to need five Hope Centers. And all of a sudden, what we needed to be able to fund this went from 25000 to 125000 Lord Jesus. And we came back and now we have a pledge to be able to fully fund two Hope Centers for a year or one large one for two full years. And I am convinced that we're going to be able to do it all. We're going to be able to, not just the Cuba Hope Centers, we are going to be able to do every single thing Jesus asks us to do. Because when we say yes and we do our part, he abundantly does his part. Amen? But sometimes he's going to ask you to do something. Number two, childlike faith gives what it has without underestimating or overthinking it. Childlike faith gives what it has. See, Andrew and Philip both, let's just say, kind of failed the test. They not only overthought, well, we'd have to do this and we'd have to work for months. And still, that wouldn't even be enough to feed half of them, right? But they also underestimated what the little boy had. Now, if they said the little boy had it, it's because he was offering. It wasn't like they were going, that guy's got some fish and some bread. Let's go over there and steal it and use it, right? (laughs) But they underestimated it. They looked at it as, well, that's certainly not enough to do what it takes. We might get a little snack for the 12 out of that if he'll share it with us, right? But that's, that's nothing compared to what we need, so it's not worth anything. They overthought it, and they underestimated it. And in, in, in Luke's version of this story, the disciples said, but we only have, that was the way they said it, but we only have five loaves and two fish, right? On the contrary, I don't see the little boy objecting or doing anything except offering what he had. In all four of renditions of the story, we don't see the little boy really doing anything, but there's his fish and his bread. He just gave it over, right? He let him use it. This reminded me this week of a couple of months ago. Uh, one of our dear girls here in the church, her car just totally died and she needed her car really badly to get you to come and go from work and all that. And Liz and I were at home talking about how can we help her fix her car, okay? And all of a sudden, Anna runs off. Our daughter, Anna, at the time would have been six years old, okay? All right, so all of a sudden, Anna, she just ran off to her room. And about two minutes later, Anna comes back with $2 bills in her hand. And she said, here, fix the car. Did we need more than $2 to help fix that car? Did Anna even worry about that? All she did was say, I have $2. Here you go. She didn't overthink it. I don't know that she thought about it at all. She thought was, I can help. I can help. Right? See, that's what childlike faith does. It doesn't overthink it. Anna didn't think, oh, I got $2. It's not worth anything. I'll leave it in my piggy bank. She just thought, I'll give what I have. See, that's what childlike faith 
does. Unfortunately, often we echo Andrew and Philip rather than echoing the little boy, right? <sighs> As Liz comes to help me with this next part, I just want to say this. You hear these? <laughs> Are you ready? Y'all, y'all want me to give the microphone away already, but li- <laughs> could you please let me say this last phrase real quick? All right. Ready? Fear of lack often controls our decisions rather than trust in God's faithful provision. And yes, it rhymed. All right. Let me say it again because I didn't mean for it to rhyme, but it did. So that's nice. Fear of lack often controls our decisions rather than trust in God's faithful provisions. Faith doesn't take into account my lack. It takes into account God's abundance. All right. Help us, baby. So I was reading this story like two months or three months ago, and um, I've read this story many times, and if you read the Gospels, you know you read it four times, and I've always like focused on the miracle, right? Like God multiplied the, the, the bread and the fish, and it's always like the miracle of multiplication. But when I was like reading it um, like three months ago, the Lord like highlighted to me the boy, you know, and he's like, okay, let's look at this story through the eyes of the boy. You know, this boy, I don't know how he heard they needed bread and fish or food. I don't know how he heard it. But I like to picture that he was maybe around closer and listening to all this. You know, and, and, and he did, you know, he, he probably picked his lunch bag. You know, because he was the only one that had food. So his mom prepared a lunch box for him whenever he, he, he went. You know? And he says, okay, here, here's your lunch. And, and I think like... When this boy heard, you know, that we need food, he went and just gave what he had. And I just picture him saying, hey, guys, you know, or I don't know if like, you know, because it says that Philip, would God, when, when Jesus asked Philip, Philip was like, well, well, you know, I was reading the Passion Translation, and, and it says, well, I suppose if we are to give everyone a snack, you know, like, I suppose if we are to give everyone goldfish, and even like goldfish is expensive, but like... I suppose, you know, we will spend thousands and thousands. And then Andrew says, like, well, here is this boy, you know. So I don't know if Andrew was panicking probably what I would do. Let's ask everyone what they have, you know. Like, I would be like, let's gather in groups and see what we have. So what can we work with? But, but here's this boy opening his lunch bag, you know, and saying, we need food. Hey, I have food. Five pieces of bread and fish, you know. And, and he did not think about... It's not going to be enough. Why do I even try to give what I have if it's not enough or it's not good enough? He saw the need and he shared what he had. He's like, here is my food. Take it. You know, and there's uh, sometimes this is how we are when it comes to serving Jesus. I feel like sometimes what, what we have, it looks not enough. And we're always thinking that, are not, that we're not enough. You know, children do not feel like they're not enough. So the problem with not giving is because we have a personal, a problem of identity that we already feel like we are enough. So why should I even try to give what I have because it's not enough? You know, but when we become like children, we just give what we have and we don't worry what's going to happen or how it's going to get multiplied. We just give, we say yes. Childlike faith say yes to what we have. And it could be two fish. 
You know, it could be, he did not think, he did not say, they, you know, they're barley bread. He didn't say, well, I barely have bread. Because that's how we talk, I barely have this. I barely have that. No, he gave it. He gave it. And I don't know, maybe, you know, my, maybe my faith looks like sardines. You know, maybe it doesn't look like much. But God cannot multiply nothing. There has to be something given so he multiplies it. And sometimes we want to be in a place where all the miracles are done, where all my gifting is flowing. But if we don't offer what we have, there's nothing that he cannot multiply. You know? So he likes. And, and just think about the boy that got to see this miracle. I just think about the boy standing there and seeing his bread and his fish, like feeding 20,000 people. Can you imagine the boy like, oh my God, I don't know what, you know, I picture my kids being like, wow. You know, the miracle that the boy experienced, no one could take that away from him. And I want to go to heaven and I want to find that boy or man or whatever he is right now and be like, hey, what happened? What did you see? What did you feel? You know, so think about, I want to have that faith like that boy. And I want to see that miracle like that boy did. So what do you have in your lunch bag today? What do you have? Maybe your faith looks like five pieces of bread or maybe some fish. You know, maybe you, ha you have giftings. Maybe you have time. Maybe you have a car that you can pick up people. You know, maybe if you want to see the miracle of multiplication, you need to put yourself out there. And we need to say yes to the little we have. If it's your living room, if it's just one couch that sits four people. If it is, you know, $20, $5, a meal. You know, I just want to encourage you. We can be that boy. And we can just open our lunch bag and say, yes, I can clean. Yes, I can move. I have arms. I, have, I don't have money, but I have my body resource. You know, I can help. I can do. So I just want to encourage you. What do you have in your lunch bag? Give it to him. Yes. Don't look at it like, oh, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes we, we see the, the things ahead and we don't have, we don't even know how we're going to go through that. We don't even know how we're going to face. But what do you have today? You know, well, maybe you have some praise that you can give to the Lord and he can multiply. Maybe you can get, you, maybe you are thankful for one thing that you can give to the Lord and, and, and practice gratitude and he's going to multiply your gratitude. Maybe your joy looks like sardine, but you know, give it to Jesus. Give it to him and he will multiply the joy for the season you're in. So I don't know what you have, but give it to him today. Say yes. Say yes to him. Say yes. Here it is, Lord. Here is my idea. Here is my, what I have. Don't ever, if you are always looking at how little you have, you will not see the miracle of multiplication. So I just want to encourage you today with that. I love it. I believe truly that the one who experienced the greatest miracle or the one who saw it as the greatest miracle probably was the little boy. We all think about, wow, a miracle for the crowd. Well, it was a miracle that blessed the crowd. But the one who saw the miracle because it came from him was the little boy. And a lot of times the greatest, the ones that experience the greatest miracles aren't, when, aren't those that are blessed by when God uses us. It's us when God uses us, right? We're the one who experiences that power. Now, I said to you, and I want us to, I didn't, the, the, the media team doesn't know we're going to do this, but I want us to go back to the passage where it talks about when Jesus gave out the bread and the fish. Back again 
to John 6, 1 through 5, because I want to point something out to you as I get ready to give this last point and close it. It does not say, we call this, and everybody calls this, the miracle of multiplication, right? And it is. Don't get me wrong. It is the miracle of multiplication. But it's not what a lot of times, if you read it closely, it isn't so much that Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. It's that Jesus somehow used only five loaves and two fish to feed all those people. Can you see the difference? Some of you are like, I don't know what you're saying. He didn't get five loaves and two fish and boom, multiply them into 5,000 loaves and 2,000 fish and give them out. He just used five loaves and two fish to feed everybody. You know what I'm saying? Okay, let's, let's read it so you can see what I said. There's a young boy here and blah, 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 blah. Tell everybody to sit down. All right. So they all sat down. There were 5,000, really more like 20,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Not Jesus multiplied the loaves and distributed them. Uh, this, somebody better get this today. It's not that God takes your gift or your offering and explodes it and then uses it. No, he's so amazing that sometimes, somehow, he can take something that is so little and use something so little for something so big. He doesn't need to give you a big, great, multiplied gift to use you greatly. He's so great that he can take little old you and the little old thing that you have, and somehow he can use two plus seven to equal 20,000. Because number three, final point, we're going to close this. Childlike faith produces more than enough. Childlike faith produces more then enough, I want to encourage somebody today to have faith that acts like a child. Because Jesus uses our childlike faith to produce more than enough. And he doesn't waste anything. We see it right here. He could have just said, well, let them keep the leftovers, right? Or whatever. Because you know what happens with leftovers. What happens with leftovers? They just get wasted most of the time, right? He's like, no, go pick it all up. Now, I've always asked myself, and it just hit me so hard this week. Why did he have them gather the leftovers? Why were there even leftovers? Jesus is perfect, right? He could have perfectly multiplied it to perfectly feed exactly 5,000 men, women, and children, right? No. They were leftovers on purpose. What do you think the leftovers were for? What do you think the leftovers were for? Come on. It was for them. It was for them. They had been, I don't know how long it took to feed all these people. Probably a few hours, right? They had been, all this time, they'd just been serving the people, serving the people, serving the people, serving the people, watching the miracle happen, watching Jesus use this little boy's offering and feed all these people. And they'd been, because if you read all versions of this, it says that he broke it and all that, and the disciples were the ones that passed it out, right? In the end, I can imagine they were maybe, they were hungry, maybe even hangry by now, like some of us are getting because it's time. I truly think the leftovers were for them. What else would they have been for? Just to cart around with them for no reason? 
The leftovers were for them to eat and enjoy. And I have something to tell you today, and this is really gonna help somebody. I hope it helps somebody. If you give it all you got, he will take care of you. He will not just use you to bless others. He'll bless you too. If you say yes to giving what you got, he's not just going to spend you and then, okay, thanks very much. No, he's going to use you. And yes, he's going to spend you. But when he spends you and he uses you, he's also going to feed you too. He will take care of you because childlike faith produces more than enough. When you believe and obey and give it all you got to serve him and serve others, he's not going to leave you hanging. See, Jesus knows your needs too. Yes, he's concerned about the crowd and he wants you to to use you to bless lots of people. But he knows and is concerned also for your needs. He knows that you are also hungry. (laughs) And you can trust him. That if you say yes to him, if you have faith like a child that says, I'll just give what I have. I'll give my all to Jesus and I'll give it all I got. You can be absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt sure that he will take care of you. Just as we end, let's go back to the first scripture, Matthew chapter 18. We need to dramatically change our thinking, become teachable. about heaven's kingdom realm, how heaven works with the wide-eyed wonder of a child. And this is the big one today that I feel like the Lord's really speaking. Jesus said, continually humble yourself. It's a habit. It's a lifestyle. I'll humble myself today and tomorrow some more and next week some more. See, humility isn't something that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It gets smaller and smaller smaller. It makes me smaller and smaller and smaller so that his great power can be seen in our life. You may be brand new to this. Maybe you've never even given your life to Jesus. Let me tell you, there's no better decision you can make today than to believe in what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He went to the cross He was beaten. He was bruised. He was crucified. He was treated like a criminal. He shed his blood and he died so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free, so that you could know the truth to give you a brand new life, to give you eternal life. Some of you may today need to make the decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, to repent of your sin, to turn away from your sin. And start following Jesus. Let me tell you, he will save you. He will transform you. He will change you. He will make you into a brand new person. He will show you who you really are. But you must surrender all to Jesus. 
Some of you do believe. Some of you are following him with your whole heart. But some of you have been overthinking and underestimating. So you just haven't been given it your all because what's it worth anyway? And today, the Holy Spirit is stirring up your faith, childlike faith to say, I'm going to give what I have, little as it may be. I'm going to give my all and he's going to use me. Rather, you need to surrender your life to Jesus, your heart, or you need to make a decision to surrender what you have to him. Today is a day of surrender. Today is a day of offering. Today is a day to say yes to Jesus. You can all stand to your feet.